Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Good morning, everyone. As you all have guessed, I am Jim Fallows of the Jim and Deb duo who will be speaking with this morning. We could not be more excited, grateful, and honored than we are to join you in this, uh, in this series on building the beloved community. I want to thank Vice President Reese for his gracious introduction, President Worthen and Sister, Sister Worthen for having us here, and Devin Glenn for the introduction. Our job this morning which we're going to do in alternation. I'm going to speak for a little while, then Deb will speak, and then I'll come back again, is mainly to give you reasons to feel some hope about the communities you're living in, the communities you will build, the nation you are part of, the world you will inhabit and shape. But before I even get to that, and before I lay out what we're going to discuss, I thought I might introduce you to who some of these people you see around you. These are people with whom Deb and I have spent the last couple of years of our lives. They're features uh, in our film, Our Towns, which came out on HBO last spring. And you can, it's still on HBO Max in your copious spare time when you're not studying for midterms. You can get HBO Max. If you look on the upper, uh, the upper side, the, that beautiful scene, the aquatic scene, that's from Eastport, Maine. Has anybody here ever been to Eastport, Maine? It is the furthest northeast community you can get in the United States. It's just before Canada. And there's a young man Deb is going to tell you about there named Elijah Bryce, who is deciding that this community he's going to remake. And his story is really dramatic. Below that, you see people in Riverside, California. Has anybody been here been to Riverside? It's in the Inland Empire of California. Those of you who know Riverside will know Redlands, the city where I grew up, right next to San Bernardino. This was now almost two years ago on the Martin Luther King Day parade in Riverside and part of their commemorations of a city that is dealing and trying to prosper from the increasing diversification of its population. Next to them on the right, you find one of the most interesting experiments we saw around the country. This was in Charleston, West Virginia. Who has been to Charleston? Charleston, like West Virginia as a whole, is a community that has suffered declines of many sorts over the last half century. And one of the ways they are reviving the town is with a really innovative crew of having um, people who are felons in the state prisons, the people in the orange shirts, but who are craftsmen in construction and carpentry and cement work and all the rest, come out to rebuild homes in some of the distressed communities of town. They earn market wages. Uh, It is just something that rebuilds communities and also rebuilds people's lives. Above them is a scene in Columbus, Mississippi, which is a part of the Old South that is doing more than most other parts of, of the country in reckoning with America's racial past. Deb will tell you a little bit about that too. Immediately to my left, your right, you see a sign from the, uh, the Lakota Santee, the Flandreau Santee Sioux um, reservation outside, uh, it's outside Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And they were having a, a summertime gathering of many, many tribes. They are talking about how they were going to build their communities so that they could prosper in the long run. 
On the, uh, the upper corner is one of the most memorable figures of our, uh, our film, a man named Sky Sharp, who is a genuine cowboy outside Bend, Oregon. And below him, you see some of the family of a man named Adrian Bay Wright, a former NFL player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who now runs in Charleston, West Virginia, a very popular community site. The reason I mention these people as prelude to getting to my actual pitch is that um, th- that we have, Deb and I have spent the last couple of years immersed with people around the country who are finding communities, building communities, and finding ways to to deal in the troubles of some national and global politics and turmoil of the moment and building better worlds for their communities and their families and for, for, for the future. And we believe, I'm going to give you, setting up a Deb's, Deb's piece, I'm going to give you a version of optimism and hope that I contend is unusual in three ways. One of the reasons for this message of hope that is unusual is that simply that it is hopeful. So to be hopeful in these times is counterintuitive and goes against the thrust of much of what we hear in the flow of the news and the flow of of other events that we all are encountering. We recognize the genuine problems for our nation, for our communities, for our states, for economic problems, uh, problems of justice of many sorts, which you have heard discussed in previous uh, uh, forums. What I have to tell you is that at a time when there is cloudiness on so many areas, Actually, there are tangible reasons for hope. The second reason why this kind of um, optimism may be unusual is its location, which is that we contend, or what Deb and I have found around the country, is that the closer up you see the United States, the more that you are the neighborhood and community level, the more hopeful you feel that the story of the United States over its centuries has been of a kind of tension between national-level developments, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, and local-level responses. And at a time when national-level problems have been so well-known, we feel as if the local level is the place where you find things um, you know, most encouragingly. I'll give you one other analogy. You heard uh, in this gracious introduction that Deb and I spent many years living in China. One of my views of China is that China often looks most imposing when you see it from a distance and can look most fragile when you see it up close. I'm going to contend that the reverse is true from the United States right now, that our problems are most evident from a distance and the sources of encouragement are most visible when you look up close. And finally, I'll say this kind of optimism is unusual in the distinction between two kinds of hopes or two kinds of positive feelings you can have. One of them is what I would call complacent optimism. That is the idea that things will get better. Just bide your time and things will improve. Sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. The other kind of optimism that I'm going to try to encourage, give you examples of and encourage you for in your uh, searches for communities is what I call conditional optimism. The idea that things could get better if everybody tries, if things go well, that that, that there are ways in which progress could be made. And that is the message that Deb and I took from communities all around the country, that people were guided by a kind of conditional optimism about the communities they had found. 
Either they were places where they had uh, been from and decided to move back to, places where they decided to move their family. One way or another, they decided, this will be our home. We will make things uh, better here. I'll tell you very briefly how we learned the things that we think we now know and some of the initial surprises, then I'll try to set you up for the importance of the illustrations that Deb is about to, to give you. The way we knew these, uh, we learned these things is by spending most of the time between 2013 and 2017 traveling to smaller town America in our little uh, propeller airplane, which we are uh, very uh, privileged to be able to use to, to travel. Our definition of smaller town America had two components. One is a place that wouldn't be in the news unless something bad had happened. If there were a flood or some kind of crime or some other thing that brought attention to the town. The other is, it's a town that had some kind of challenge. The mill had closed, there'd been other shocks, and people had uh, some kind of, some kind of um, uh, difficulty they needed to deal with, some way they needed to invent their community. And we spent, we went to almost every part of the country. I will confess that in our book, Our Towns, you'll find two states in the United States, in the continental United States, that are underrepresented in our reporting. One of them is the state of Colorado, and the other is the state of Utah. And the, reasons is, the reason is your mountains. Your mountains are ones we didn't want to fly into in our little plane. So we were, you'll find us in Kansas. We were all over Kansas. We were all over Louisiana, the lower the ground level. And we saw, saw around the country so many, um, um, so many encouraging and common signs. We put together ten and a half signs of civic success. We have theories of the role that universities and community colleges played. But the main point that we had, and what I'm going to have as a setup for Deb, is that at just the time over the past decade, that is through most of the conscious life of the students who are within uh, this, this, uh, the sound of, of our voice, the last decade when so much of the national news has been of strife and of setback and of challenge and of reasons to lose hope. It's been a time of unusual, uh, unusually just um, flourishing experimentation at the local level. You find experimentation in civic engagement. You find experimentation in kinds of schooling. You find experimentation in sustainability. You find experimentation in the looks of downtowns. That when people look, uh, our contention is that when people look later on at this period in American history, the time when most of you who are students were in elementary school and going out on missions, many of you, and coming to, to college, a time of national strain seems to be leading to a time of great and under-publicized experimentation and renewal at the local level. And so the bigger picture, I would suggest to you, before turning this over to Deb in a moment, is that the story of America, essentially in every decade of its history, has been of crises that affect the nation, some of them more extreme, some of them economic, others cultural, but you name your decade, you can find some crisis for the United States, and creative response. And we know about the crises, 
And we often don't fully know about the creative response because so much of it is small town, so much of it is community, so much of it is local. And so if we recognize that the next decades of American life, of your young adulthood and your starting families, are of those two forces in tension with each other, the national level strains and the local level creativity and response, that is the, the, the challenge and the struggle that you all will be part of resolving. As you find your communities, as you build your communities, as you have your communities renew themselves and set examples for the nation as a whole and for the world. So that is my intro. Deb is now going to tell you about some of the specific creations and creators we have seen in these last few years around the country. I give you Dr. Deborah Fallows. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. And I want to echo what Jim said of our gratitude for inviting us here. It's just been the two of us at home with each other for the last year and a half, so I cannot tell you how beyond excited we are <laughs> to be here with all of you in your beautiful town, in your beautiful state, which we want to learn more about. We spent more than five years in that little plane traveling around the country to more than to about 50 towns, and we ended up knowing about half of those in depth. We learned a lot from being in those different towns and have some perspectives to bring to you on what we found, the, the way people build a strong community. I want to talk about three of those different things. One is the public institutions in town. One is the public arts and the roles they play in the towns. And one is what we learned about about you all, the next generation of what you all are going to bring to the, to the fabric of these towns. First, I'd like to talk about one of the strongest institutions we found in almost every town we went, which was the public libraries. You know they are well expanded in their mission beyond bringing books and information to people. They have become real community centers and civic centers. And we, we know that that is the case in Provo, too, in your beautiful public library. So I want to talk about three different things that we found about what libraries do really well. One is that they build strong associations and collaborations in the civic fabric of the town. In Bend, Oregon, home of Sky Sharp, he's not the librarian, obviously, there was a new librarian in town who wanted to find out what people knew about his library, and he went out and did a survey and found they actually knew nothing about the library. So his mission was to send the librarians out into the community, call them community librarians, and have them join as many organizations as they could. The hospitals, the Rotary, the Chamber of Commerce, connect with the, the education in the schools, the museums, the historical societies. So these librarians went out and joined all these organizations and said, how can we work with you? And together, they did better work in their community. They worked with the AARP in tax preparation. They worked with the Rotary in job resumes. The library offered the kind of support work in the place where those institutions could bring their people together and into a separate place. 
More recently, they've engaged with the legal communities and have something in bed called Book a Lawyer for people who have trouble with housing or for with family issues, whatever it is, they can't afford a lawyer. They can go to the library. Same thing, you can book a nurse, 30 minutes with a health provider if you can't afford to go to health care of your own to get that kind of information. The business community came to help people learn how to do Etsy. In, in Nashville, they gave library cards to all the students. In, in, um, it, it, the point is that it's bringing the disparate parts of community together in a single place. Libraries, we also learned, are the go-to place as the second responders. You know who the first responders are. The second responders are the libraries. After the riots in Ferguson, Missouri, where this, when the schools closed down, Children could go to the library and have activities and even have classes there. In Long Island, when the hurricanes devastated so many homes, the library as well was closed, but the librarians went into the parking lot and helped still to do the story hours for the kids. And the point of all this was it was their effort to return normalcy to the towns after some kind of trauma. Same thing in Houston when the floods closed so many people out of their, their homes. The library said, come here, we are open, we are here to help you. Uh, the third thing that libraries do so well is that they are, as we know, a place of trust. They're a place where there is no judgment practiced. This is really important as a place of learning. One of the most difficult things, which is hard for all of us here to imagine, is becoming an adult and not knowing how to read. Literacy programs are the most pop adult literacy, teaching adults to read. It's a hard thing to go in and say, I don't know how to read. But as a place of trust, you can go to the library, and in Jim's hometown of Redlands, California, the adult literacy program is the biggest program they have in the entire library. Similarly with basic skills, people saying, I don't know how to use a smartphone. They can go into the library and learn how to use computers and cell phones and things like that. And then on the more creative side, the libraries are open for, for people who want to start businesses or uh, really creative entrepreneurial rights to people to um, use their maker spaces. Similarly, they are a place that kind of flattens out the society for the most vulnerable people. Inviting in the immigrants to learn, to run through the ropes of getting their citizenship papers or for the homeless to provide a place to stay during the day or the services they need to get through their lives. In, in some, I think it's, it's above the door of the Columbus, Ohio Public Library's huge sign etched in granite that says open to all. And that is really the sense that that public libraries bring to the strength of their community as institutions. So if the public institutions like the libraries bring people, knit people together, there is another institution, which is the public arts, which knits time together for the communities, helps people get a sense of where they came from, their history, where they are now, and answer the questions of who they want to be, where they want to go in the future. We saw the public arts on display everywhere, and certainly you have them all over your university, which is such a gift and such a pleasure. 
Reminding people of the history of their towns is part of what makes them strong and connected to their towns. Sculpture walks are a big one. In Greenville, South Carolina, no picture of Greenville, but Riverside, South Carolina, has its sculpture walks. In Greenville, it's all about the history of the individuals who founded their town. In Rapid City, it's, it's the march through the presidents of their town and the announcement that they were the gateway to Mount Rushmore in their town, a place to remember the history. Murals all over the town. We, we saw in Ajo, Arizona, the reminder that they started out as a mining town with three different communities of people the Mexicans, the Anglos, and the Native Americans. So on those murals throughout town are representatives from all of those three nations. That's the kind of history that you can bring to the town so that the children grow up knowing what it is. The adults remember what, where they came from. The, the arts also give a chance to participate in the current events of the town, in the current life of the town. In Laramie, Wyoming, one of the most touching things that I saw was a big mural on the side of the building with hundreds of little tiny handprints on the town. Kids dipped their hands in the paint and they plastered them on the wall. Every time those kids go past that mural, they have a sense, I am part of this town. That's me. That's my hand on the town. So this kind of public participation that people can have currently in the town gives them a sense of the belonging. You see it in the, in the plein air festival of, of what, when artists represent themselves in the town or the music festivals that we saw in Fresno. And it's a, it's a statement that I am part of the experience of this town and I, I belong here and I matter here. Everyone is an artist. Everyone can contribute. The other thing about the arts is asking the question of the future. Who are we and who do we want to be in this community? Most communities have struggled through some dark periods of time. And in Columbus, Mississippi, for example, Columbus was a Civil War hospital town. And now it's, it's a town of black people and a town of white people, and the race relations are something that they have had to live through and try to come through. What's happened in that town is that the public school have reenactments of Civil War era everyday life in the town that brings together the audience of the African Americans and the whites in the town, not only to remember their history, but to talk through the difficulties that they're going through now or have been through recently, to make themselves a part of the history of the town and to reckon with their pasts and to see where they are going. We've seen that in a number of towns we've been to. This, this kind of public reckoning with the dark periods of their past. In Greenville, South Carolina, there was an artist in the town who kind of summed this up in a way that, that really struck my heart. He said, we want to show you through our public art in town and let the world know that there is a town in South Carolina that cares for the human spirit. Yesterday, Jim and I had the opportunity to go to Professor Yamada's class. Anybody here who was in that class? Yay, okay, <laughs> friendly faces, thank you. We learned about the tea ceremony in Japan and a lot about the rituals and the importance of rituals in town. One of the attributes that was brought out in the class yesterday was that, that 
the rituals are a way of transporting you from the busyness of everyday life to a different perspective to look at your life. And to me, that's something that translates really well into what the public arts do for communities. They take you out of the busyness of your everyday life and give you a way to think of your town and your community from a different and deeper and, and less harried experience. So now we're on to you, the third thing that I want to talk about. Every town that we went to, one of the main topics was, how do we keep the young people in town? How do we engage them with what's going on in the town? How do we let them see the opportunity of what they can do and the responsibilities they have when they come back to this town? So... This is something that is on you to figure out yourselves of what you can do to build strong communities. A few things that we have observed are, I would say the most is to think of engaging in something where you find your passion. And this is where, this is the story of Elijah Bryce. We were in Eastport, Maine when he was a, a high school senior. During his summers, he was a lobsterman. That's Elijah on his lobster boat. He loved lobstering. He loved his hometown community. But he was also very aware that climate change meant that all those lobsters he was catching were going to swim north in the next couple of years and there would be no lobster industry. So he decided that he would kind of combine these three passions and figure out how to help this town both survive economically and how he could be a part of it. So he went to school. He learned how to build boats, which is what he's doing now. He learned about climate change and what kind of fishery or aquatic industry could survive in the town. And he's now determined to be an entrepreneurial presence in the town in the new kelp farming industry. So um, that plus the environment, the boat building, the fishing, the kelp, and being part of that community is a way that he is really bringing the youthful energy and, and future to his hometown of Eastport. That's a big ask for young people. You're thinking, what can I possibly do to match up to Elijah Bryce? It starts small. We've seen in Washington, D.C., in the next door county, there's, it's, just like in, in the libraries in, in Bend, Oregon, or everywhere else, go out and join things. Be part of your community. Learn to find your voice there and to do what you can. In Montgomery County, next to Washington, D.C., there's a student representative on the, on the county school board. In, um, no. In, in other places, I, I'm so ahead of my notes, which I didn't even find that I need. We, we found in Redlands, in Jim's hometown, there was a young kid who was at, at the University of Redlands at the time, and he built a, he built up the radio station now there. He has now come back after a few jobs to be the head of the Chamber of Commerce in Redlands. He's 28 years old. We find, um, people, young people going into the schools, something you can bite off, a small bite, and organizing in the whole state of Delaware, a photograph contest. Give the kids in the high schools small cameras, teach them how to take photos, and the assignment is, take a picture of something that's important to you in your town and tell us what it is. Show us the experience of your town so, through these photos. 
So they, it, be mentors in your sports league. Show up wherever you can and be part of it. Grow with the town. Learn to find your voice and earn your place in the leadership of the towns where you live. There's, I just have one final comment that we've been thinking about in you all as, as you go out into your missions. Um, it's really such an opportunity. You have a secret weapon that other people your age don't have. You are going into your calling in these communities and having the opportunity as an outsider to see what makes them work. What are the keys here? Who are the people who are making these towns grow and what are they doing? That is, those are lessons you can bring back to your, to your communities in your life and apply to wherever it is you end up living to build the strength of your communities. So we, we applaud you. We thank you for letting us come here and we encourage you because you're the hope. You're the hope for all of us. Jim. You can see why the main reason I consider myself so fortunate is that 53 years ago on a blind date, I met a young uh, student in college. We've been together ever since then. We've been married for more than 50 years, and I feel the most fortunate person because of that, and you've seen why. Um, I'm going to just continue on something Deb was saying and and wrapping up here. Deb and I do feel a special resonance with the experience many, many people in this building and in this community have. How many of you have been on missions? And how many outside the United States? There are related factors, as Deb was saying, of going to some community where you are not from and having to engage with people different from you and learning how they live and thinking about how you live. That is a gift. It's a service you all are doing, but it also is a gift, as Deb said, that you have been given. Also for Americans, those of you who have been outside the United States, in our experience, there is no better way to understand both the strengths and the vulnerabilities of the United States, of American culture, than to live for an extended time someplace else. You appreciate the things that are resonant and unique in good ways about the United States. You notice the things that are most in need of correction here. So we do, in our role as reporters, traveling the country, traveling the world, to understand people from different backgrounds, we do very much endorse what Deb was saying. You have secret insight you might not even appreciate to the workings of the world, the workings of your own country and your own communities. So now to wrap this up. I started by giving you all the case for conditional optimism, not that things will automatically get better, but that they could get better. Deb was giving you illustrations of ways that people are making things better in their communities through libraries and through public arts and through finding ways to, um, to make young people feel as if they want to make this community their home in the long run. I'm now going to move to a brief payoff. If you believe what we say, Of course, the next thing you should do is go watch our movie on HBO after you study for your midterms. But what else you could do beyond that? I'm going to try to give you a couple of more specifics that are connected to what Deb was saying. One starts out with sort of a 
uh, you know, more theoretical point. The other will be a number of very specific things to bear in mind, which can be part of shaping the community that you end up finding and considering your own. And I'll divide these into two gap categories. One is recognizing the moment, and the other is recognizing the points of leverage. To recognize the moment, I'm talking about this moment in the history of the country where we meet right now in the United States of America. Who here studies American history or loves American history? Please, every hand go up. That's what I would like to see. The chronicle of American history, as I was uh, mentioning early on, is of continuing stream of troubles and the responses they give, which sometimes are adequate to the, t- the needs of the times and sometimes are not. And this moment in our national life, I submit to you, has very close parallels with the original Gilded Age in the late 1800s when new fortunes were being built, where old manners were being challenged, where every institution was under, under suspicion. And if, when you study your American history, you know that from that grew an enormous area of reform on countless fronts. And that is the moment I would like you to bear in mind that you, that you all will be looked back on a hundred years from now the way we now look back on the reformers of a century past, that they seized the moment, they used their opportunities mainly locally to create a better world. What are, if you recognize that moment, what are some of the points of leverage? I'm going to tick off a couple of them all in the community, finding a community um, area. I do recognize something that is different with this audience of your friends and colleagues from many parts of the United States right now, because compared with many other Americans of your age and education, probably more, are you, more of you are from intact families and more more of you are from communities that you think are already functioning, and more of you may think that community problems are somewhat solved, I'll urge you to use those advantages as extra leverage for doing the work of community uh, that that, um, is ahead. What are some of the specifics? Uh, First on this list will be related to what Deb was saying, which is simply to engage in anything. Engagement in affairs outside your household is especially hard when you have young children. We know that firsthand. Many of you will be in the young parents uh, mode coming up. But that will be opportunities for ways to engage with your children's friends and with organizations. I know that you have, many of you have built-in engagement um, opportunities through your faith. But look for ways to engage whenever you can. And here is the simplest simplest illustration which we found as a marker of communities where there is some spirit to them. If you're walking down the street and you see a piece of trash, pick it up. The more people do that, the more there's a sense of people caring about the community outside themselves. From that simplest engagement of picking up a piece of trash comes many other things. Second on the list, which may sound um, more specific and stranger, but find a way you can run for any elected office sometime or support your colleagues who do so. There is nothing that is as even, I was going to say, even more than service on a mission. I would say it is humbling to go to people and ask them for political support. It exposes you to a range of opinions. It lets you understand how people compromise or don't. 
Um, it is a hard thing to do, but American democracy depends on people being willing to give their time and their attention and having people whose views are moderate, and we would call it normal, who want to be part of our public governance at all levels and local levels or as school boards, library boards, or where so many important decisions are made. Number three on this specific list, find some way to support a local journalism organization. If newspapers still exist, subscribe, you know, online or however you can. If nonprofit news organizations are rising up, find ways to support them. If you're interested in journalism, explore things like Report for America or other ways. Recognize that through American history, the, the uh, sea in which local democracy swims is information provided by local newspapers. The survival of local journalism depends really on people of your generation talking about students deciding to give their attention and in different ways their money to people who will describe the communities that you want to shape and, and be part of. More to say about that later on, but I will leave that for now. Uh, one, the next one, very specific. When in doubt, plant a tree. The idea is that any way that, that uh, the steps towards sustainability need to be at the global level, but at the local level, there's tremendous leverage. Tree planting is a proxy, both for its own effects on the community and for the larger way in which ma makes people think about their world. And the final thing I'll urge you, to, urge you to do in finding your community is think about what would make somebody who is different from you want to move there. Community has always been a tension between the things people have in common, which could be language, they could be religion, they could be ethnicity or whatever, and the things that are diverse. And the American experiment is people of diverse backgrounds finding things they do have in common. So think, as Deb was saying about some of the communities we've seen, what would be the civic story? What would be the features? What would be the welcoming that would make people from different backgrounds feel as if this was the place they wanted to find as their own community in the long run? The community's life, your lives, their lives will be, will be richer because of that. I'm going to close by mentioning one item of recent history that I think illustrates the moment we, in, we are in precisely because it has gotten so comparatively little attention. When people look back on the year 2022, there are many things that are now on our minds that they will note. The effects of the pandemic and the way we have all had to deal with it the fractures in politics in this country and other parts of the world, military tensions around the world, efforts to deal with, with sustainability issues. There's, and all of these things are the, in the headlines and they should well be. But there's something that, as far as I can tell, has not been in any major newspaper for the last week or two that probably certainly will lead all the science books that are writing about our time and probably will mark many of the histories, which is the launching of the Webb Space Telescope, which took off, which was launched successfully on Christmas Day, as you recall, and has just in the last three days sent back some of its first pictures from deep space. 
Why do I mention this? Because there was a community that was created to have this phenomenal engineering and scientific achievement. It was U.S. and it was international. It was universities and it was governments and it was companies. It was um, engineers and it was, was scientists. And they made a difference in, in all of humanity's understanding of where it came from, where, where it is going. And things, this is an age of marbles in many way, ways. I mentioned the Webb Space Telescope because that is one extreme, something that will be countless light years away that happened during our time without most of our, us even noticing it. But at the same time, things very locally are happening that you all can be part of as you find the community that you want to call your own and pour your heart and your intelligence and your effort and your vision into creating that beloved community. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library, as well as other BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.